so we're reading Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Reg Wherry was a soldier in the Australian Armed Forces during the Second World War. And although born to godly parents, the adoration of God was the last thing on his mind as he served his country. During his time stationed as a soldier in the historic city of Jerusalem, he notes this, "'Many times I walked down the Via Dolorosa, the way of the cross, too drunk to care one iota that this was the road Jesus Christ took to Calvary.'" In reflecting on his approach to life, he says this, I determined I would live for myself, and if I liked a thing, I'd not only try it once, I'd keep on trying it. And so that was my life. In many ways, Reg's story is one that's easy to resonate with. Maybe not the drunkenness in Jerusalem, but in his determination to live for himself. Because I think it reflects a desire that we each have residing in our hearts. It's a desire to be right, to be in the right and to always be right. How good would it be if we could be right? I mean, who likes to be wrong? In Reg's own eyes, he was right. He was always right, for he lived for himself. Our world, it encourages such desires as Reg's. You do you, follow your heart, as long as you're happy, I'm happy. But there's a tension with this, isn't there? See, when everyone is right in their own eyes, we end up butting up against each other and stepping over each other. It causes a whole bunch of issues. We see it in our society, churches, workplaces, personal lives and elsewhere. And it's a problem that desperately needs solving, both individually and more broadly. And this morning we turn to God's Word for help that He might provide us with the solution. Let's pray and ask for that help now. Father, we thank You that You do not leave us alone in the messes we create. May you guide us in all truth this evening. Teach us your ways, that we may adore you all the more as we bathe in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You should have an outline in front of you there with the points that we're following along with and the passages outside of Psalm 145 that I reference will be there along the way. We're up to that second point there, the Lord is righteous. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. To be righteous in the sense that David is speaking, it's not just a desire to be right, but to truly be right, to truly and always be right. It's a similar sense to a straight line being called a right line. There's no deviations, it is always straight, always right. There's no inconsistencies. And I would give you a building analogy, but my hands are a bit too soft for that. So here's a maths one. 
This is a program I used to use with my students. I'm sorry if you've seen this uh, in the last week. This is called Desmos. And at any point on this line, you can zoom in. You can zoom in as far as you want, and the line will look exactly like this, dead straight. No matter how infinitesimally small you go, it will always be dead straight, always right. No diversions from being right. And so to say the Lord is righteous is to say He is truly right in all He does. Were you to zoom in on every single detail of what God does, you would find no diversions from Him being right. Of course, in our world, we have different overarching standards that someone can be right by. We saw this in a recent cricket series when an English batsman was given out in a controversial way. So the Australian team said they were right by one standard, righteous according to the laws of the game. And surprise, surprise, the English said they were wrong, the Australians were wrong according to another standard. Unrighteous according to the spirit of the game. So if there are different overarching standards of righteousness that can be measured, well, what standard is God right by? Well, it can't be any human standard. For we've already seen in verse 3, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. To hold him to some standards of the rest of creation, well, that wouldn't make sense either. For we saw last week in verse 15, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. There is no created thing greater than the Lord. As Creator, all look to Him and are dependent on Him, and so there can be no one and no one thing that can impose a standard of righteousness upon Him. And yet, as the American apologist Greg Kukul rightly points out, an objective standard exists. However, the standard is not external to God, but internal. It is grounded in the immutable that means unchanging, it is grounded in the immutable character of God, who is perfectly good. In other words, the standard doesn't come from outside of Himself, it comes from within Himself. And so when humans declare ourselves to be righteous in our own eyes, like Reg did, well, we're in effect seeking to be God. For unlike us, his righteousness does come from within, where for us it's manifold pride and we're shown to be wrong very quickly. For Him it is true simply because it's true. It's one of the key things that makes Him God and not us. And we see a similar idea noted by the author of Hebrews, Hebrews 6. When God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for Him to swear by, He swore by Himself. The Lord in Himself is perfect and is in Himself the standard of what is right. And the principal of Moore College, Mark Thompson, he says this, God's own life and His activity in the world He created define righteousness for us. And so to say the Lord is righteous is really to say that He is consistent with His own character. 
To say the Lord is righteous is to say he is consistent with his own character. In everything he does, he is right because his actions are consistent with his right character. And so as we sung, he is never surprised. But he's, he's never surprised by his own actions. He never has to apologise. And so when David, the author of this psalm, read of God bestowing blessings upon people in the Old Testament, he knew God was acting righteously. When David read, saw, heard God's judgment upon the nations, he knew God was acting righteously. And even when David himself experienced pain, loss and suffering, in the final analysis, he knew God was acting righteously, even when he couldn't see it. But please note, the Lord's righteousness is not just some cold, hard facts about some distant God out there. Verse 17 helps us to see this clearly. So, in Hebrew poetry, the first sentence in a couplet, that is two kind of sentences, the first sentence is often a statement, and then the second sentence can do a couple of things. So, it can contrast the first statement. So, you see this here in verse 20, which we'll explore in two weeks. The Lord watches over all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. So, it can contrast the first sentence. Or, it can enhance the meaning of the first sentence. Verse 17, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and faithful in all He does. The Lord is righteous and through this poetic device we can see that His righteous acts are understood in light of His faithfulness. The Lord is righteous and faithful. Now, in the Bible, faithfulness, it's always relational. So, in a general sense, God's faithfulness is directed towards His creation, like we saw last week. And in a specific sense, it's directed towards those He promises to be faithful to, the descendants of Abraham. So, to say the Lord is righteous in all His ways and faithful in all He does, it's highlighting His faithfulness to His promises, putting a spotlight on His promises. It's a profoundly personal and relational statement. I remember as a young boy, my sister was the first to tell me that God is interested in relationship with His people. To be honest, I didn't really understand what she meant, but the more I've gotten to understand, it's it's blown my mind. It shapes completely, it opens my eyes completely as I read the Bible. I began from that point to see this truth everywhere. Take, for instance, when God delivered His people from slavery. He doesn't say, I brought you out of slavery. No, what does He say? Have a look, Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of of the land of slavery. He frames this righteous and faithful act in relational terms. In the book of Jeremiah, God's people faced exile from Jerusalem to Babylon due to their unfaithfulness. Nevertheless, God assured them of His faithfulness to be expressed through His righteous deeds. 
Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Can you see the depths of our God's commitment to relationship with his people? He is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. And yet, from the very beginning, the evil one has done his best to deceive us, to deceive humanity into believing this is not true. We see it so clearly at the start of the Bible in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see there? The serpent, he's really questioning, is God really righteous in all his ways? Is God really faithful? Can't you see he's not? Don't believe him. And as they eat the fruit, Adam and Eve believe the lie. They deny the truth we see so clearly in verse 17. One commentator suggests we should view this devastating moment in relational terms as the great betrayal, more so than the fall. It's the moment Adam and Eve chose to define their own righteousness as self-righteousness, apart from God, that falls short of God's righteousness. A self-righteousness that has permeated human history from then through people like Reg Wherry and continues to this very day. We see it so vividly in our attitude towards politicians. We want really high standards for them, but pretty low standards for ourselves. When I was a teacher disciplining students, parents often wanted really high standards for the other kids. Get them in trouble, but let my kid off. It was a self-righteousness. I realised this week that an expression of my own self-righteousness is seen in my attitude to my prayers. I pray and I ask for something and when God doesn't answer in my timing or in the way that I want, I get frustrated. God, can't you see this is what's best for me? This is what's best for the kingdom, surely. I've decided that I know what's best and, well, God, he should get on board. But throughout the Bible, God does not want people to do what is right in their own eyes. He wants them to be righteous by his standard. And so he gave his people his law. His law was to, to be their righteousness, the standard they were to live rightly by. So have a look at Deuteronomy 6. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. 
And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as He has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Obedience to this law was was to be the response to God's saving work which He had already achieved through His righteous acts. Obedience to this law was never meant to be what ultimately declared them righteous, but it was to be their standard of righteousness. It's worth noting that God's grace is what saved them even back then. It's never been by works that people are saved. But even after the giving of the law, the problem of self-righteousness continued. Individuals and nations continued to do what was right in their own eyes, a repetitive, self-destructive cycle. Which is why, as we read the Scriptures, we learn that a righteousness apart from the law, was necessary. You see, it couldn't be through the law, because through the law we learn that we are unrighteous. But if not through the law, then where would it come from? How would humanity get it? I mean, sure, we're made in God's image, but having chosen self-righteousness and being unable to live up to the righteousness testified to in the law and the prophets, well, where would it come from? The Apostle Paul, he writes extensively about this problem and the marvellous solution that God provides. The Lord gifts His righteousness. Have a look at Romans chapter 3. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify to. You see, what was hidden was now made known. A free gift of righteousness has been made available that cannot be earned or bought. But how? He continues. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Not only was Jesus coming to redeem a powerful demonstration of the righteousness of God and a demonstration of His right and just punishment of sin, it was also a demonstration of His right and just declaration that those who have faith in Jesus are right with Him. Not because they in themselves are righteous, but because of the righteousness and faithfulness of Jesus Have a look at verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies, that is, declares righteous, those who have faith in Jesus. Isn't God incredible? 
Isn't he worth adoring? God is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. And it is on dazzling display in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as he gifts us his righteousness in him. And this reality, it is amazing. It is wonderful. God has gifted his righteousness to all who believe in Jesus But what about all the ongoing unrighteous stuff in the world? What about the stuff that has happened and will happen? How can God be righteous and faithful if the wicked things committed go unpunished and the wicked just seem to get away with it? And what about when the wicked are Christians, or at least claim to be? All should be warned. Christian and non-Christian alike. For God has set a day when he will judge the world by his righteous standard through the man he has appointed. On this day, God will be shown to be righteous and faithful in all his ways, regardless of our creaturely perception of them now. And he has given proof of this by raising the man Jesus Christ from the dead. See, the ultimate day where all wrongs will be made right, it has not yet come. The day when all those who refuse to be covered by the righteous blood of Jesus will be judged, it has not yet come. We see, as Paul encourages the Thessalonians, this same idea, God is just to Thessalonians, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. God will judge by his righteous standard. The day is coming. It will happen. Peter underlines this in his letter to Peter 3. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Do not forget this day is coming. God is faithful and he will keep his promise. And so while we wait for that day, let us not remain in the self-righteousness that characterizes the sinful flesh, but rather through the power of the Spirit at work in us, Let us put off our self-righteousness and live for the one who gifts us his righteousness in Jesus. Later in the book of Romans, Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to deed the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So I wonder if, like me, you've noticed a, or become aware of a self-righteous attitude in your own heart that you need to put to death. Well, if so, don't wait. 
be putting it to death. By the power of the Spirit, with the help of His people. And as we heard from Tim a couple of weeks ago, verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. Oh, what a God we have. He is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. And so his praise is just such a natural response. After years of living an unrighteous and unfaithful life toward God, Reg Wery, he learned of the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And the title of the testimonial I read from earlier, it's called Three Times a Prisoner. It's called this because according to him, when he was living in unrighteousness, he was a prisoner of sin, a prisoner to sin. And later, when he was captured by the Germans during the war, he became a prisoner of war. And praise God, through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, he received a precious faith, such that he was able to say, now, by the grace of God, a prisoner for Christ until he comes again. My father-in-law, he gave me this book a little while ago and as I read his final words of adoration, they were the most encouraging and I have to say truly the most challenging I've ever read. Let me read them to you. The things I once loved, now I hate. Him whom I once ignored, now I love. And I want to place on record this day that I love Jesus Christ more than life itself. I'm deeply in love with the lover of my soul, the Lamb of God. And I love him more than anything or anyone. There's a man who does not trust in his own righteousness, but is safe in the righteousness of God. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you are righteous in all your ways and you are faithful in all you do. Help us to adore you like David, like Reg Wary. Help us to see you all the more clearly each and every day. Help us to put off our self-righteousness. Help us to long for your righteousness and to live as your people, safe in your righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.